You're listening to Builderpedia, your go-to podcast for everything you need to know about property. By covering the entire journey from buying your home through to design, building, selling and everything in between. We'll help you fill in the blanks and bring your property vision to life. Welcome to the latest episode of Builderpedia. Joining us today, arguably Australia's best-known professional photographer, Murray Fredericks. Murray is a phenomenon in photography, in architectural photography, but also landscape photography. Also a, a very humble, beautiful person who I've loved working with and is a good mate. So, Murray, welcome. Thank you. And, Murray, what, tell us what you've been up to, I guess, because I haven't really chatted to you in a while, but you're normally in one of two places. You're normally somewhere very remote riding a bicycle through mud flats and away for months at a time or, or you're having an exhibition somewhere? Well, there's been a, a lot of that in the last year or so. Towards the end of COVID, I felt a bit hemmed in, as we all did. So I made a point to start a new project and um, I started working with fire in the landscape, which is a very important element of the Australian landscape in particular. It's been used for tens of thousands of years and it's a it's a very natural part of the Australian landscape but it's also a very destructive part of the Australian landscape which is getting a lot worse made by climate change as we saw in the 2019 black summer fires so it's something that you know in art speak I'd call a very big part of the cultural imagination of Australia and um, I took that on Back in 2014 and then 15 and then tried all different iterations of working with fire and, and settled on lighting up dead trees in the Darling River system with gas lines, so yeah. kind of turn, turning them into sculptures, fire sculptures, if you like, and photographing them, essentially without harming the trees. I mean, they're dead anyway, but um, that's taken me all over and I've done about six or seven trips now. With, yeah, right. That project. Because you're best known for, I guess, landscapes with a lot of clouds or a lot of stars and planets, and but there's not much happening on the ground. So this is a, and I've seen some of your fire prints, but you're focused on emptiness mostly. Yeah. Right? Would that be yeah. True? Yeah. Well, look, they're all elements of, I guess, I look at a landscape as a landscape is a man made thing. A landscape doesn't exist without the human mind. It's a construct. I mean, we have land, we have country that exists, but the actual act of putting a barrier around it, whether it's the frame of a photograph or turning it into a garden, we call it landscaping for a very good reason, is, is, denotes to me that it's, there's, there's a human construct there. And if you dig into that a bit further, you say, well, if it's a human construct, what's it constructed of? And for me, it's layers of meaning, layers of information that, that people are going to respond to. And that is really the job of the artist then, is to as assemble that into, a, into an image or a sculpture or whatever the medium is and make a comment on it. So the first start of my career was around really working with space as, as one of the dominant experiences of, of the Australian landscape or country. And uh, now I've moved into fire. And 
true to form, I've we've jumped straight. At, like I always, I always get the introduction bit wrong because I people are probably confused. Why are we talking about fire and landscape on Buildopedia? And I guess the way I know Murray is well. I guess I first knew of you because I was watching an obscure documentary on the ABC about a guy who's somewhere in Greenland pulling a sled and I can't even remember what what the content but I was like yeah these that guy's a bit loopy but um <laughs> but awesome but awesome at the same time but I think we just to wrap up the introduction bit you're known equally you're, you've got this dual career as a landscape photographer but also as an architectural photographer that's why you're on Buildopedia but uh, I was going to come back a step and just ask you about your inspiration of the week or what your you know where Murray gets his inspiration from <laughs> I don't know how inspiring it is but it's something that's stuck in my mind and I was listening to a podcast I was listening to the Huberman podcast which I'm have you listened to that are you familiar no, with that? but there's a billion podcasts <laughs> yeah look Huberman is a very popular one at the moment He's an American professor in the medical faculty at Stanford and um, he focuses a lot on exercise, you know, things like cold baths and saunas and weights and psychology of performance. And, yeah, look, I spend days and days on the road, so he's been very good listening. It's, he's very academic, spends most of his time talking through studies, but I'd, there's so much bullshit out there about all this stuff that uh, it's good to listen to someone who actually knows and, and is talking about cutting-edge work. So anyway, he was talking about stress in one of his podcasts and one of the tests. And this is what I found. I don't know if inspiration's the quite word, but it was a bit of an aha moment. And he said they tested a sample group of people who they told stress would do negative things to them. And then they put them under stress and guess what happened? People had the experience of what they expected of stress. Then he flipped it and they did a test and they said stress can have these positive impacts. They put that group under stress and guess what? The experience of stress reflected what people thought it would be. Now, stress is something that we all suffer from, no matter whether you're an artist out in the bush or, you know, you're trying to pay the mortgage, you know, on a big city, <laughs> a big, big, tiny big city block of land for you and your family. And I just thought that was a lovely realisation with some science behind it, that stress is what we make of it, largely. And do you think the same follows for happiness? And oh, you'd have to go back <laughs> to... I'm going to refer you back to the scientists. Because some people seem to be perversely happy no matter what is happening and where they are and yeah that's I, annoying and, isn't it like ted lasso i don't know ted lasso but is he he's <laughs> <laughs> that apple tv eternally optimistic coach of the english footy team it's been a it's 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 been a big apple tv hit yeah right ted lasso i don't know yeah I've never heard of him but i'm just i'm wondering if people are told that hey, this thing that you're doing is going to make you happy, whether that will make you happy. I've often wondered if um, if you can 
wag a dog's tail for him, will that make him feel good? <laughs> don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> anyway, we're totally meandering and unfocused as as per normal. We're probably in the most important part of, of the podcast right now, Matt. Right now. We've nailed it. Yep. Can can yep. I make a dog happy by wagging his tail That's for him? it. That's it. All right. Um, well, hang on. I'm going to tell a story of when we first worked together and you're like, it was a great experience because you wanted to know everything about the project. You were really interested. You wanted to understand what was happening. And one of my frustrations at, at times is having you on one of our projects doing a photo shoot and not having time to be there. But one of the funny things, and this is what I wanted to share, is we, we had this weird shared history of being in the same place where possibly not many people would think to go or or would go. So I remember the two that I remember, one was the Western Arthurs. We both travelled and through and photographed the Western Arthurs, which is a, a nine eight day trek and some days you don't go very far because it's all scrambling and I went back I walked it again this year Did in you? March oh. and I'm taking my sons back for a 3 week trip through there in January and February Yeah right well I'd love one day I think my, your kids might be a little bit older than my kids but yeah that's definitely and they'll be and, 17 and 22 Yeah 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 well that's great I mean, it's just a such a fantastic adventure. It really is, yeah. I forgot how hard it was. <laughs> well, it gets, probably gets harder, you know, the older you get. And the- oh, yeah, particularly if you've got a 40-kilo pack. Yeah, that's hard. That would be hard? Yes, that's the, the slog of a, a photographer, landscape photographer. My mate and I went, we got to the end, and rather than walking back to where the bus picks you up, we decided to just follow the Huon River. Off track? No, no, there was a trail along it. We figured, oh, right, okay. We, I mean, we, we, we presumed. We, I mean, we didn't have a map for that section, but we figured if we follow the river from, it goes, we knew the river ended up in Huonville, but we had no idea how far. That's a long way. Oh, yeah. That, was there that, a track the whole way? Yeah, yeah. Huh. But wow. The perverse thing about it was there was a little shelter where you sign out and we thought we were home and host we didn't have a map but we there was a sign out book you know how you sign in yeah i mean you used to used to i haven't been there for a while but you'd sign in and sign out so we signed out and we're like oh sweet there's going to be someone who can give us a lift or there'll be something something will happen or we're close and the that thing was in the middle of nowhere like it would have I don't, it was. <laughs> How did the sign out book get there in the first place? I actually don't know the purpose of it because it is, it was another 20 kilometers of walking before we God. got to any sort of road or in, like it was, this sign out book was <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. But the other place we both were was Darnay Brook, which is from memory. I guess if you're not familiar with canyoning, Canyoning is probably as close as you get in Australia to mountaineering, and it's essentially following. It's the dangerous bit of mountaineering, which is descending from the top of a river down 
following a creek, following waterfalls and, and abseiling down. And the thing about Dane Brook is that canyons are graded one to five, five being the most extreme, and Dane Brook was a six. <laughs> and and I was talking to you about it and, and I was like, yeah, we had an epic day. It took us 24 hours of hard slog to get from vehicle to vehicle, going hard. All day we were fit, we were go- going at it. People, obviously, some people don't make it out of there, as we found out later. But you had an interesting story about your trip into Dane. Yeah, I did it when I was about uh, 15 with a teacher at school and one other guy, and um, the, the canyon flooded. It had been raining a couple of days before, and I think the rain took a few days to make its way down. And at the top of the canyon, it looked okay, but uh, really the, the water was, you know, as we got further down, and the, one of the things with canyoning is you can't go back. Once you commit, you're in. Anyway, we got about halfway through the canyon, and um, the water was so powerful it twisted the ropes halfway down. So we couldn't get on the ropes, and we had the teacher at the bottom, and we had myself and a mate at the top. And it doesn't take very long, but we were standing in the blast, the wind blast of the waterfall before. And, you know, very quickly hypothermia started setting in. And uh, my friend dipped his toe into the water. And it, uh, I think his coordination was going a bit, but the force of the water just ripped him up and threw him over the waterfall. And we had two 50-metre ropes down. So with canyoning, you know, with roping, we tended to either work with 25s or 50s. Um, if it was a 25-metre waterfall, you cut one 50 in half, put that through the loop. This one, we required both ropes that we had with us. So we had two 50s down. So that's a long way. And, and my friend fell, survived. And right in the middle of the canyon, there's a pinnacle. And we climbed all the way to the top of that pinnacle with my friend who had a broken pelvis. We had to carry him up there. Jesus. And, and we spent the night without adequate shelter in a thunderstorm. And then, um, luckily, we, we were overdue. It was a Sunday, and then on the Monday, we were rescued. But to give you an idea, we were so high on, on that pinnacle that the first pass of the helicopter came through the canyon below us. And then it circled around and came back up, and they found us. But, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty hairy. Pretty yeah. hairy. And I think, um, I mean, I just remember, like, we weren't, we checked the weather, we did all the right things. I just think there's usually a lot of water in there. Like it was huge. Right. It was raining. You had a lot of water too. Had a lot of water. And I went, my mate said, he watched me. I was first, I was leading it. I went front ways first because the water, you can't abseil looking up into the water, but it was just a torrent of water that was bigger than me. Yep. And he said, he just watched me disappear into the waterfall and he didn't know what was going to happen next. <laughs> I was just completely ensconced in a, just wa- like raging water going around me and made it to the bottom of that, Lost, got the rope stuck, of course, and I just said there's no climbing back up to get the rope unstuck. We're just going to leave the rope. And uh, everyone, wow. everyone was very happy. We had another rope. We had a backup plan so we just went it's too dangerous to get up that 
I wonder if your rope got stuck where our rope got stuck. Wow. Yeah, it was just, yeah, we haven't really been back to that part of the world to go canyoning again. We were just. No, not in a hurry. We were just, it was one of those things where we were very confident and confident in our abilities and we just went, we don't need to do this again. <laughs> we were just, yeah. we can get out of here safely. We don't need to come back and we haven't been back. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I've spent most of my life in the, in the bush and doing these kinds of things and survival and safety starts right then with that decision. We don't need to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not the bravado of knowing that you can do it. It's just, it's knowing when to pull back. It's knowing that, hey, this, this could have ended differently. We don't need to test it again. We, yep, we, we'll, take, we'll take our winnings and uh, we don't need to because – yeah, it's very perilous. One little, like, if you get jammed on the rope on the way down, you've got a few minutes to rescue yourself. No one's going to help you. No one no. can do anything for you. So you've got a few minutes and that's it. That's all. Yep. You're done. The only thing someone can do is cut the rope. <laughs> yep. hope, hope, for the be- hope that you're far enough down. So moving on, because we could talk about, adventures for hours but um, but i think what i really wanted to talk to you about and how your work fits into the narrative around buildopedia which is really giving people insights into property and that whole process of buying property building selling so how does photography fit into that is probably the question and i think um what's really interesting to me is the way you approach photography and how similar it is to how we approach architecture and how we strive to build buildings to really storytelling telling like and I guess that's where I challenge a lot of architects that I work with or a lot of architects where I maybe commission them what story is this tell what is this saying what is your work demonstrating like how does this fit in and storytelling is i think something universal and break everything else down we're all telling a story so yeah i was wondering if you could share a bit i mean that, that's in my words but i'd love to hear about no your- i think that I, I think you're spot on first of all i just want to give the listener a little bridge between what we've been talking about which is landscape photography the outdoors and how we suddenly end up talking about architectural photography. I started life as a, I guess, a, a purist artist back in the day, back in the days on film. And to be a landscape photographer back then, we used very specialised equipment. It was a, those bellows cameras known as large format or view cameras. And very technical approach. And you only get one shot with those things so you you really have to be bang on with your exposure your decisions your lighting and everything else you don't really have the the choice of making it in 20 different ways and choosing the best one which is great training what happens is those techniques from the outside of what i was doing had a wonderful commercial application and after a few years of you know struggling along as an artist i thought i might explore that commercial application to see if I could make my financial situation a bit better. 
So I did a, an architectural job for a couple of friends, a couple of young architects who, who'd done a place over in um, Darlinghurst. And I remember just setting up the camera and it felt just like out in the bush, the way I was framing, the way I was setting up, and it looked incredible. And I suddenly realised I'd found, very fortunately, found a very enjoyable commercial application for my skill set. So I knew right then I was an architectural photographer and I started working for a lot of the magazines. And this is where we get back to the story. Magazines are not really the driving force in our area anymore, but they used to be. And we had to tell a story to keep people turning the page. We had to tell the story of whatever the subject was. And one of the differences, I guess, between architecture and, say, real estate is real estate is just this blanket sales tool when it comes to photography. But architecture involves understanding the design, understanding the story, and then conveying that through the photos. And that's a whole different skill. It's a much more advanced skill and takes a lot more time and a lot more understanding. A real estate photographer can get through a place, a large McMansion, say, in an hour, assuming it's all set up. Whereas an architectural photographer might take two days to shoot a very large, well-designed property. A smaller inner city place, we can generally get through in a day. And that time goes into making sure that what we do is telling the story and being faithful to the design and the conceptual understanding behind the project. Yeah, and I'll pick up on the fact that you've jumped to real estate and architecture or architectural magazines versus real estate. And I just think there is no logical reason for the two being different apart from it just is the way it is. Cost. Yeah. Cost. Cost. <laughs> but think about it in the context of the property sale and the value add rather than the cost and think of how much you actually spend on the campaign and everything else and the furniture and the photography starts to become even Murray's rates becomes money well spent, but it's value creation. So yes, there is a cost, but it's more about what people are conditioned to pay rather than what is good value. Yeah. I think there is a lot of competition between real estates and if, if between estate agents and, and they try and make certain elements of the thing easy, you know, and they say, here's our package, use this guy. And you get a drone, you get a thing. And also it fits into their post-production, their colour, and it looks like all the other cartoons in the Wentworth Courier or wherever else it gets advertised. What you don't end up with is a great record of your effort. But what you do get if you engage an architectural photographer for a real estate campaign is the opportunity Assuming there's a great piece of architecture and well executed. All right. So presuming That's a very important assumption. That's a very yeah. important assumption. But And that the place is well presented and that the furniture is all part of the story as well. That's right. But if you can get all those things right, I mean it's it's just a tragedy when you get all those things right and you just have your ordinary real estate photographer whizzing through it. 
and I guess for me that you know it's it's about document it's about web photos for our website as well as photos yep. for um well that's what I mean it's a, it's, it's a record of your collective effort but if I was selling a property getting those photos right getting that photo that then suddenly ends up on the cover of domain and suddenly you go from a campaign ready to go to a queue of people at the front gate, wait, having turns going through the house. That's when I guess the real value is unlocked. So that's been my experience with working with you is that the photos are so stunning that they're put on the cover of domain. You also give me good subject matter <laughs> to, to, to work with. But I guess you, yeah, I think you've got, I'm not, not trying to like, give you platitudes for the sake of it, but I think you've got an eye for how to arrange photos, how to arrange furniture, how to move. Like you, the thing you do is you come in and you start moving everything. Well, when you first come and have a you, you, I think you always come out to have a look before the day of the shoot. Yeah, you've got to digest a visual space into your subconscious and that, that's an overnight process. You can't turn up on the day and even have a root, you know, you, you don't even have a rudimentary understanding of the space. And also, you only shoot if the weather's right, even if it's all indoor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's, again, that's a different, so we, we have to wait. We have to. And it's worth it. It's yeah, worth waiting. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. It's worth it. Nothing is as great as beautiful light in photography. Yep. The light carries an emotional charge with it. So people are, one, looking at the space, deciding they're lighting it, but their subconscious is picking up the quality of the lighting, which is an emotional quality that's coming through on top of what they're seeing. That's very, very important. And so that's one of the differences. But the other thing is that you move everything around. Like you yeah. <laughs> you don't, you have no qualms about rearranging furniture. And, and you, that's what I found is whenever someone suggested, oh, no, maybe, Whenever you've arranged it and I've come and gone, maybe one chair, not two, or maybe two chairs, not one, sure enough, I add another chair and it just doesn't look right anymore. And I don't know whether that's because you've already anchored a image that worked, but for whatever reason, whatever I try and move never works. This is a critical point. What's going on is in, in any photography, but more so in architectural photography, we're going from a three-dimensional phase-time experience of space, which is the human experience, into a photograph, which is a two-dimensional instantaneous record of a moment. So when we, we use our memory to understand any space, whether it's a landscape, walking to a coffee shop, and it all happens subconsciously, walking into a house. We look here, we look there, we look over there. And in that phase time, we build up a sense of where we are and what it looks like. And it's very, very different to what the camera does. So my job as a photographer is to replicate somehow something of that space. And that's why I drill you on the story and the conceptual outline and the design. Because the camera changes everything. Going from 3D to 2D is a huge change. And you'll notice it in, in how much the roof gets prominence. 
you walk into a space, you never look at the roof. You look straight ahead. It's an evolutionary survival thing. You know, that's probably where the animals are or where the people are. That's all we do. We look straight ahead. We look down. We see what's around us. We almost never look up at the ceiling. That's why um, drop bears are so dangerous, I guess. That's 100%. It's an underappreciated risk. And when we take a photograph of a room, in that two-dimensional space, when the human mind looks at it, the ceiling gets an equal weighting to the floor and everything in between. So my job as an architectural photographer is to re-emphasize the main qualities of that space, the experience of the space. Now, this is something we get to in the art world, and that's called phenomenology. Well, sorry, there's a philosophy behind that, and the philosophy that clearly picks this up is, is known as phenomenology, and it's experiencing the world through its phenomena. And I think that that's a much more honest approach to what photography is and can be because it can't be a direct record of of what you see because it's different. It's a different medium. Happens on a different time scale, happens in different dimensions. But the one thing I try and recreate in the bush and when I'm shooting architecture is the experience. Yeah. So that's an emotional quality. That's an emotional quality we're trying to recreate. Now, when it comes to actually moving furniture and things like that, there's a very good technical reason for that. Most properties, most rooms are not big enough to get the camera back far enough to make it what we call a standard view. So you either crop out just a part of the view, which is what the interior specialist photographers do. They might just layer a couple of pallets on top of each other. You can look at a whole interior article and really feel that you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand the whole space. Or you can use a super wide-angle lens and just walk into every corner of every room and shoot the whole thing and you capture it. But then you get all the technical problems with the false space that a wide-angle lens introduces. So that's a very photographic concept, but that is the basis of what we're doing. So what I'm doing, particularly with the smaller inner city places like, you know, Balmain and Roselle and Surrey Hills and other places, particularly I've worked with you, is I'm managing that wide angle space that's not there to our eyes. And that's an opportunity as well, because I can use that wide angle space to drop in elements that are emphasized. So I can emphasize certain elements of the design of the room. But then a lot of times, it's just easier to remove things that are particularly in the foreground, like the second chair or the stool or things like that that look great to the eye. But to the camera, they either end up too distorted or too prominent. And it's just easier to, to move them out of, the, out of the way. And if I can move a whole setting away from the camera, it allows me to use a longer lens, a, a not so wide lens, and get everything feeling like it's in proportion. So that really is the skill and the technical name for all that is working with lens compression. Now we're getting technical. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's really technical, but that is what is going on. But you see these things as opportunities, not problems. So if I've got a story to tell and something to hang the shoot on, then all the decisions I make about fixing these lens problems allows me to emphasize or de-emphasize things by pulling them forward or back. 
And unless I know what's going on, what the client hopes to get out of this, there's no point. I can make up my own stuff, but there's so many choices. I'd rather make up stuff that sits with what you want rather than what I want. Yeah, and I guess that's back to the conundrum, and it totally makes sense, and we we workshop because I guess one way or another, whether you're selling or whether you're like photographing for your portfolio or for whatever reason, it's the same. Like it's it's the same thing. You need to tell a story through photos. You need to let someone understand the photos that you present in the order and the way you present them enables whoever's seen them to create an image in their mind or a feeling about that property. So, I, I mean, that's why I'm back to real estate and I'm like, it's the same. It's so the same. Sure, the cost is what it is. And, and yeah, if you're not interested, if it's a un- particularly uninteresting renovator-style property, I don't know. I think it, even a something that's ripe for renovation has patinas and textures that you can capture and draw someone into. Like I just go, even the most awkward, funniest, like because I've seen you, I've seen you work and I've seen you create something out of not much where I've gone, that's a room that's just, you know, it is what it is. There's not much happening in there and you've still managed to draw something out of it that that's exceptional. So I think even if I was just selling a house and I wasn't interested in a portfolio, for me, it's a, it's a win-win-win. Like it's a win for recording the work that we've completed. It's a win for promoting our architecture and construction services and it's a win if the property goes to market so for me it's like all my christmases have come at once like it's yeah great it's absolute (laughs) no-brainer but i think even if i was selling a property that i had nothing to do with building i would still get you to photograph it because the value is there and that just that nudge see the little nudge is property's expensive right so that little nudge of a couple of percent makes it worthwhile. It's very significant. And, yeah. But if you can create an incredible story around a place that you're putting to the market, you can draw more potential buyers into it. And that's that's the magic of real estate, particularly in Sydney where it's always an auction, where it's always a competition, whereas maybe not so important in other, pla- in other parts of the world but in Sydney and in Australia, as far as I know, it's a unique, we're unique in the way we sell and buy real estate. But that competition is where the magic happens. And if you've got a compelling story, and sometimes it's that one image that becomes iconic and people are just, just want that. And, and we've had, I mean, we've, I think our most iconic image of a property we've built is probably a house in Balmain where it had a it had a concrete element and then it had a recycled the recycled timber stair and it had and it had the stair was suspended from high above with rods and it was just the agent rang me because it went to market so we developed it and built it co-op was the architect 
and were the architects, I should say. And the agent rang me at, at the end of the first open, and it had just come out. Sorry, I'll preempt. It, it had just come out on the cover of Domain, and the agent rang me and said, "Look, I don't know what happened today." I don't know. I didn't get anyone's name. I couldn't. It was just about crowd control. There were people, there was a queue. There were people wandering through taking selfies with the stat in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like, he just said, look, oh I, my I'm God. sorry. I don't have anything to report. I don't, I don't know who the buyers are. I don't know what happened. It was just chaos. And I had, it was just about crowd control and managing and making sure that the place wasn't too crowded and and just <laughs> a queue. there was a queue. <laughs> so so that oh. that campaign exploded because of that iconic photo. And the funny thing about it was like years later I went searching for a, for a stair and it came up on my Google search for stair. <laughs> <laughs> Which was quite incredible, um, but I guess I think there's a missed opportunity for a lot of property vendors and agents. And I do, you do notice that some agents do it much better than other agents. So with some agents there um, and some vendors, really, it's it's very uninspiring. I mean, I, and I know that because I benefit from that if I'm a buyer. Because I, I sort of, I get in. The more I'm uninspired, the more I'm curious and interested. Because I'm like, oh yeah, that's a dog of a place. What, what I wonder, I wonder what anyone else is thinking. And sometimes, it's just the way the way it's presented. Like it, yeah. And I bought a place that I thought was too narrow, too little, too odd, too, and it wasn't. It would just look like that, the way it was furnished, the way it was presented, the way it was sold, the way it was photographed, made it look oddball and weird. And uh, no one wanted to buy it because everyone thought it was too small. And it, it, well, that, that's how we got our place that I'm yeah. sitting in right now. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we always try and summarize the discussion with some key takeaways. And I'm going to jump into the first one, which is, I think it's one of the most undervalued parts of the real estate marketing machine is quality photography. Like, given the amount of money spent on the campaign, on the margin that you pay to the real estate agent, on, as in the commission, I should say, on everything else that goes into it, I think the best opportunity is quality photography. And if I was selling a house, I would be getting Murray. And I guess I'd be in trouble if I didn't anyway. But uh, (laughs) what are your takeaways, Murray? What are the things that you'd like the listener to remember from today's discussion? I'll put you on the Um, spot. Sorry. No, no, no. no. Look, I I think you've hit it on the head. There's a big difference between real estate and architectural photography really that's what we've been talking about and the real estate system is set up it's there for a reason it's it's generally a package it's very much about making the vendor's experience with that agent seamless or appear seamless 
you know, if you wanted to bring in your own architectural photographer, as you do, you've got the nows to do that. I don't know if a lot of people do. I think that's that's a reflection on you and a few other people around who know to do that as well. But you've got to have the right property as well. There are techniques. I think if I got called into, you know, like an old 1930s knockdown place that, that hadn't had a lick of paint on it since 1955... I'd probably be better off using a, a real estate photographer's tricks and techniques, which I know if I got asked to shoot it, I'd probably use those tricks and techniques. But if I'm shooting something that's been well-designed and well-built, then I think it's money very well invested, as you know, in getting it shot properly for posterity as well, for a record. Because if you've put heartache into it, there's a record of a big chunk of your life there as well, I guess. Yeah. And just... The final takeaway, can I say, we're all storytellers and storytelling is in every, like strip away the marketing kind of crap and like it's all about telling a good yarn and I think that just follows through in the way you work, in the way I work, in the way I try and like really focus people around me to think. I think when it all boils down to it i think we're all just trying to tell a story and create a narrative around things murray do you want to tell us about an upcoming like uh, gallery exhibition or so how do it's, we it's a good time to ask me that actually so we're launching this fire series which is called blaze at sydney contemporary art fair in september okay then uh, I've which, got a which suburb is that, by the way? Where is, oh, it's where at Carriage Works. Oh, Carriage Works. Okay. Yeah, it's the big, it's the Sydney Art Fair. Okay. And uh, the gallery I'm with in Melbourne, Arc One, has given me a large portion of their booth to actually launch the whole series. So we've got seven large works up in the booth, which is quite rare for an art fair because that's more like a gallery's exhibition in their own space. So that launches then. Then I've got a retrospective at the Museum of Australian Photography in Melbourne on the 25th of November. That's a three-month show, and that covers 25, 30 years of my career. So I'm very excited about that one. And then we launched the gallery show, the dedicated gallery show of Blaze, the Fire Series, in Melbourne as well. Wow. So, so there's a lot going on this year. I think we're also getting a – the museum's going to rent a cinema for a day – in Melbourne, we're going to play all the videos and films that we've made over the years and do a big discussion and Q&A. So there's a lot happening on the, yeah, on wow. the art scene this year. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got you for our podcast because it sounds like you're going to be busy. <laughs> well, I'm heading off to print for the Sydney Contemporary Show right now. So yeah, right. That's, that's uh, next. And are you still open to if anyone – you know, of the seven people that will be listening, <laughs> was any is there any uh, opportunity to get you in to do their um, oh sure, sure. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I do. I, I blend both. It, it's fifty fifty. Yeah. Okay. Some years it's you know almost eighty ninety percent artwork, and and other years if I'm you know it's just starting a new. If I've come out of an exhibition cycle, it can be less. But when I'm in Sydney, it's, it's you know, that's what I do. I'm an architectural photographer and uh, I enjoy it. I love it. And, Murray, I love, love having you on this. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to it and very happy that you made time. And, um, yeah, really appreciate your time. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for joining us. Thanks to all our listeners. To access exclusive content, we invite you to join our community by subscribing to our mailing list. We'll have show notes and links and all sorts of things that we'll work on to Murray's, we'll link Murray's exhibitions and also we will make sure that you know where to contact him to get photos done if you're selling a property or whatever you need. Okay, take care. Until next time, bye. You've been listening to Buildopedia. Please remember to like us and share our episode with your friends. We'd love your comments and suggestions. And we have a new website, buildopedia.au, where you can get in touch or leave a question and check out our blog.